0: Good evening, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. I know it's been a while. Well, technically not a while, but we haven't had renegade times in a very long time, so we're gonna go ahead and do that. Alright? Alright. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns about anything, feel free to click the links down in the description below. Yes, please give me time to do that. (laughs) Um, It takes a while for me to go ahead and gather all of that for you, but just know it'll be there. Alright, and we also have merch. Go ahead and get your merch. You'll look beautiful in it, and I work hard on my merch. Alright. Just get it, you know, you want a sweater. Let's get into some politics, yes, lots of fun stuff we're about to talk about today. Alright, you know how sometimes, on my Instagram, if you follow my Instagram, I put the hashtag selfie therapy when I put in my selfies sometimes? Well, this isn't the right time to do it, Biden. This was a terrible way of doing things. Don't do this, people. Don't be a Biden. Alright? Let us... go through this. Um article. I I feel really bad. For one, okay, I offer my condolences to this mother who had just been snubbed by President Biden, because she had lost a son in Kabul at the Kabul airport bombing, and I just want to offer my condolences. People don't realize, especially now in this generation, don't really realize how much of a sacrifice it is For anyone to go into the armed forces, the navy, the national guard, the marines, anything in order to serve your country is a very noble thing and it is a sacrifice. You give up everything, especially if you are called to go ahead and defend your country out there and you die for it. People come back with a lot of problems, mental problems, physical problems. Some people don't even look the same. People don't realize how serious it is to be part of the armed forces here in America. So it is a high honor to me, okay? I don't take that lightly. I don't take that with a grain of salt and I do not not take it seriously because I really take it seriously. Anyone in the armed forces, love you. I really do. Thank you. But Afghanistan gold star mom, I wept. Uh, Wanted comfort for Biden and suggested, he has suggested a photo with him instead. So before I get into this, I don't understand. I feel like Biden is not real anymore. I don't know what they replaced him with, whether it be a robot, Nephilim, or reptilian. Who gives a shit? Um, this shouldn't have happened. This should not have happened. Um, it is just it's common courtesy to just... There's a lot of people out there that don't listen to each other anymore. And that's one... <laughs> I'm sorry, that that's awful. Listen to people. She, all she wanted was to be listened to. All she wanted was to have her president care. He didn't. He didn't care. But a gold star mother who met President Joe Biden on the Memorial Day following her son's death from... The terrorist attack at Kabul airport said that Biden responded by suggesting she take a photo with him and when she wept during their meeting. Army Staff Sergeant Ryan Christian Noss was killed uh, when a bomber detonated a bomb at Kabul's international airport on August 26, 2021, killing 13 American soldiers. His mother, Paula Noss, self Um, The executive director of the Respect and Remember Foundation met Biden in the Oval Office at an event for Gold Star Families in Washington, D.C. on Memorial Day 2022. Uh, There's been a lot of grief, a lot of grief, she told Daily Mail. Um, There is nothing like watching your child die in front of you, in front of the world. She recalled when she met Biden, he said, I can understand why you're angry. I stood face to face with him, eyeball to eyeball. I began to weep. She said, adding uh, that she told him it should have never happened this way. He stood there stoically and remembered, uh, she remembered, this is her talking, sorry. Um, nothing out of his mouth except, well, would you like to take a photo with me? Self uh, told Biden that the only picture she would take of him or with him was is was if he stood with her at her son's tombstone in Arlington National Cemetery. And he, he said, Biden answered, I can't do that because Secret Service won't let me the fuck I'm sorry I told myself it wasn't gonna cuss in this episode but people make me angry that's a mother who lost her son she will never see him again she will miss him forever and you have the gall to fucking say oh would you like to have a picture with me Secret Service won't let me take a picture at your son's grave. We just can't do that. It is a moral disgrace for a president not to have mercy on people that he serves. It is a moral disgrace, Self said, adding that Biden thought the sad occasion was a photo op rather than opportunity to comfort a grieving mother. Uh, He had one chance to make a difference for my child on that or on not making decisions and indecisions that cost him his life um, and do not hold him accountable. Or, and I do, I'm sorry, I do hold him accountable. Okay, yes, she concluded that she holds Biden accountable, of course. Forgive me for not reading correctly, it's been a while. Ryan, all of his life, was quite certain he wanted to go into the armed forces. Self said that her son, who was a member of the JROTC cadet program before serving the military. And it is please it is a pleasing thing to me, but throughout his life, he kept that focus. He was so disciplined and he was so smart. He was protecting and giving the, giving us the opportunity for many people to live out the American dream, but um, that's what will long outlive all of us. The Respect and Remember Foundation says uh, it has three goals, to encourage the JROTC and the ROTC cadets uh, with merit scholarships as they graduate and go directly into military, to support active duty military stationed abroad with care packages and welcome home baskets and provide vacations for active military personnel and families, and to partner with veteran-led organizations connecting veterans together um, to help combat the high suicide rate among veterans and the adjustments to the civilian life Needed by veterans encouraging their veterans. That's a beautiful thing. Um, I don't know if they take donations, but go ahead and give to, to the Remember Foundation. Um, the Respect and Remember Foundation. Forgive me for being so out of it already. I- anyway, we're going to go on to the next uh, segment real quick. yet another wildfire happening this time in Maui, so we're gonna go ahead and cover that. It wouldn't be Rogue Radio if I didn't talk about things that are actually being talked about as well, so yes, Rogue Radio is about news you haven't really heard of, but I also want to touch on the big things, because lives are being lost at the moment. Hawaii Governor Josh Green, A 1,000-plus people still unaccounted for after devastating Maui, Maui fire. Hawaii Governor Josh Green said during an interview over the weekend that more of than a 1,000 people are still unaccounted for following the devastating Maui, Maui fire uh, that struck the small town of Lahaina, um, Earlier this month. The fire from a couple of weeks ago was uh, already, has already been designated as the deadliest fire in the US in over a century with well over a hundred lives confirmed lost, and it has triggered intense criticism of President Joe Biden over the lack of response to the tragedy. He doesn't respond. Well, or not at all? I I mean, do we expect anything less from this decaying onion of a person? Margaret Brennan, host of the CBS News, Face the Nation, asked Green on Sunday how many are still unaccounted for, and how long will it take to identify the remains. More than a 1,000 are unaccounted for, about 1,050. It will take several weeks still, Green said. Some of the challenges are going to be extraordinary. Um, As you reported, 85% of the land of the impact zone has been covered now by what uh, amounts to an army Of search and rescue teams 41 dogs so 85% of the land has been covered now we go on to the larger buildings which require peeling back some of the floors and structures Uh, he continued that uh, last 15% could take weeks and we do extreme concerns we do have extreme concerns that because of the temperature of the fire, the remains of those who have died in some cases may be impossible to recover uh, meaningfully. Green said that there are going to be people that will never be found because of how intense the fire was, but he assumed or he assured viewers uh, that state officials were going to do everything they could Uh, with the FBI to try and identify any remains um, they happen to find. Wow. My deepest condolences to the families who have lost their loved ones. A thousand people. A thousand and fifty. A thousand plus. That is not a small number when it comes to people who have lost their lives. That's awful. And I just want to offer... My condolences. Rogue Radio loves you. This is not necessarily politics, but it is kind of raising an eyebrow with me. Um, There is a surge in a, a lot of teen anxiety, depression, and suicide attempts at this moment and I wanted to talk about it. I've been a recovery coach for four years, and um, I work in mental health. I hope I can continue with mental health because it is something that I love to do. Um, There are things that I just, I'm not allowed to talk about when it comes to the deep um, detail of what I have to do At my job that uh, when a crisis happens um, maybe if I am allowed one day I will talk about it but when it comes to like the clients um, personal life I don't like to talk about that but um, as a recovery coach I see a lot uh, when people come to the center that I work at sometimes I have to um, call the ambulance because they have either hurt themselves or, um, need medical attention immediately. And when I see that there are children and even teenagers still suffering from mental health, it breaks my heart because I've seen young, old, men, women, transgender people come into the center and feel at peace like at my center but I have also seen people who have just been mentally tortured endlessly and I have to talk about it that's just who I am I one day want to become a therapist and when I when I see an article like th- like this especially when it comes to psychology I have to read it because I'm wow I'm giving you guys information as well, so when it comes to me talking about mental health or even psychology, that's me educating myself right in front of you guys, (laughs) but, um, it still hurts that there are so many kids out there that still need a lot of psychiatric help. Um, Physician groups beg for help with emergency rooms flooded by children in psychiatric crisis. Emergency room doctors and pediatricians are pleading for help with a flood of children and teenagers showing up at emergency rooms due to mental health issues. A surge of mental health emergencies among children um, has overwhelmed emergency rooms. According to a joint paper released Wednesday by the American Academy of Pediatrics, AAP, the ACEP, American College of Emergency Physicians, and the ENA, Emergency Nurses Association. Um, The children showing up in crisis are often suffering from emergencies related to anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts or attempts, um, the group said. The ER has become a de facto referral center for all of these problems, and there's too many of them for emergency departments to manage, said lead author Dr. Mawson, who um, directs pediatric emergency medicine at the Ronald Reagan UCLA Medical Center. And Mawson um, is also a member of the AAP and the ACEP committees in Pediatric uh, Emergency Medicine. This is not who we are as ER physicians. We are not mental health professionals. We cannot provide um, definitive care," he said. Um, About a half a million children. Jesus Christ. With mental or behavioral health problems, show up at emergency rooms each year, according to the joint paper. That um, that number is already rising before the pandemic, but the pandemic exacerbated the crisis, the physician group said. One issue emergency rooms encounter is that pediatric mental health crises um, tend to be very complex and require much longer hospital stays. The average pediatric mental health uh, stay is 17 hours uh, compared to an average 5 hours for all emergency room stays according to the paper. The pediatric mental emergency Visits also drain resources that would have been needed to run the normal medical operations of the ER so that um, increases of length of stay for other patients as well, he said. So, someone who is going to the ER for a mental health problem, such as someone who has who has um, thoughts of hurting themselves or having anxiety or having a panic attack. These kids have not been taught how to manage their depression and manage their panic and anxiety. I can understand if they come in with someone with uh, who had cut themselves, who had attempted to commit suicide. I can understand that if they actually did something along those lines. I'm not saying that people who have intrusive thoughts of hurting themselves can't be treated. I am saying that the ER is not necessarily a place for someone who is going through something mentally and internally. If it's now, if it was once internal and is now being expressed Externally, meaning suicidal attempts, those would be treated in the ER. But When it comes to the mental health that is internalized, it needs to be taken seriously, yes, but it needs to be taken seriously at a mental health facility. And... A lot of people don't necessarily know how to manage their depression, their anxiety, their panic, their suicidal thoughts, their intrusive thoughts. Um, and people, especially now, need to learn how to manage that. Um, the one thing that I would necessarily you know, suggest is to distract yourself. When it comes to depression and thoughts of hurting yourself, intrusive thoughts, whatever they are, all of that is internal. Therefore, I wouldn't say that it doesn't exist, but it doesn't exist outside of yourself yet. So when everything is internalized, you have to do something externally in a positive way in order to manage what you're going through. So anyone who is suffering from intrusive thoughts, I've gone through that, I've had thoughts of hurting myself. I've had thoughts of doing all of that. I have acted suicidally before. And it's been six years since I haven't done anything like that. It is possible to manage. Not just to survive, but to live. Maybe one day, if my, if my podcast doesn't have so many annoying little segments and little shows that I choose to do, maybe one day it'll just be strictly about mental health. Maybe there's going to be a future mental health talk that I can do and bring people on. That's something that I would love to do. But when someone who is experiencing internal thoughts internal feelings, your emotions, your thoughts are all internal. When it comes to acting out on those internal things, it has to be positive. So when you have a negative internal feeling, a negative internal intrusive thought, use what you can in a positive way Externally to distract what your mind is going through Because there's a lot of things that tie into mental health, especially with spirits, which honestly I do want to talk about but I will say all of those thoughts in your head aren't all your own I'll just leave it at that If you're wondering why you're having those thoughts, it's most likely because it's not your own but another issue that children who arrive at the emergency rooms in crisis less likely to get a follow-up care they need so that they can go on to the emergency room rather than a psychiatric crisis uh, center or community health center, um, according to Moen. Um, the physician groups are um, calling for several me- measures to address the crisis. Um, the measure is community-based teams that could respond to children in crisis at school, in doctor's offices, and even at their homes. Um, other or Another measure is placing pediatric mental health professionals in emergency departments. That is something that when I had gone to the emergency room for a mental health crisis back when I was 19, they did have a mental health doctor come and talk to me. That's something that they still need to do. Um, another aid um, the group suggested was supporting emergency document or department staff with information about high-risk children, such as abuse victims and post-traumatic stress disorders. The country's mental health system needs to be expanded as well. Um, The paper's author said there is only one mental health professional for every 124,000 children and as many as 5.5% of all counties um, do not have even one psychiatric professional, they said. Um, Telehealth for children's mental health could also help in treating children uh, before they land in the emergency room, the author said. We are in the ER, basically, and um, a safety net. So they're basically a safety net, the ER is. Um, We can't say no to anything, um, and we have to accept whatever comes our way. And I think that is why everybody is referring these children to the ER, he says. So... uh, It is very true. um, Specifically in my city, there is probably maybe about five main um, behavioral health companies, including the one that I work at, that work around the clock to help people. Um, there's a lot of factors that go into why people end up being um, this way when it comes to going into a mental health facility, not even just a facility, just like a behavioral health um, you know, company where people can talk to a therapist and stuff like that. It is mostly because um, mental health changes all the time. I don't know when it comes to physical health, I feel like physical health is more mapped out better than mental health. Mental health, anything can really happen. I am saying that, um, I don't know how to say it. (laughs) I am saying that comparing to mental health and physical health, um, physical health I feel is more mapped out better than mental health. Mental health is always changing. Um, mental illness is always changing. There's many branches of autism. There's many different degrees of um, different disorders now, and there's many different reasons on why people end up having these mental disorders or these mental illnesses, and there's many different ways in order to treat someone who has a mental illness, especially someone who has depression anxiety or has a panic disorder, bipolar disorder, OCD, all of that, all of that has to have a certain type of approach. And there's many different mental health disorders out there. And just like the body can get sick, the mind can get sick as well. And so when it comes to someone who cares a lot about mental health, I feel like there's a lot, there's not a lot of people There's not a lot of people who care about the mind of other people. There's not a lot of people out there in the mental health field that care enough to help someone manage their mental health. And we need more. We need more people who care. All right, this is where the fun happens. Here's random stuff that I find interesting. (laughs) All right. I wanted to talk about the new Netflix uh, movie called um, Jesus Revolution. So the Jesus Revolution kind of centers around the Jesus, the real Jesus revolution back in the '60s, around 1969, um, and this happened around the hippie movement, and everyone was searching for love, peace, and gratitude, and satisfaction, and all of that good, positive vibe stuff. Um, so there were a lot of people who have, who of course did drugs were involved in Woodstock and all of that, so there were also people who were in the hippie movement that fled to Christ and that's one thing that I didn't realize actually happened back in that day. You don't actually hear about the Jesus movement that much uh, when it comes to like history. We all know about Woodstock, but we never hear about the Jesus revolution and how the name Jesus Freak came to be. Um, and I find that incredibly... I don't know, I find it weird that history never told us about this, but then again it's Christian history. Christian history, I feel like, is totally separate from natural history, um, that has happened because you don't hear about that in textbooks. But, um, We're gonna go ahead and read the review, um, but I'll do that later, but I just kind of wanted to talk about it, um, because my opinion about the movie might be different from somebody else's review. I did see The Guardian say that it's happy, clappy propaganda. Look at what Um, you see! Rotten Tomatoes called it, well, they rated it 55% on their website, but... I honestly think it's great, this movie. I really think that you guys should go and see it, especially if you're looking for something a little bit deeper than what Joel Osteen and Kenneth Dopeland ends up uh, preaching on their pulpit. But anyway, um, this is all about, to me, the portrayal of how free the Holy Spirit should be um, inside and outside of a church. So um, during the hippie movement, there was the Jesus Christ movement or the Jesus revolution. And, um. It also is the story of Greg Laurie, who is now a, I want to say, world-renowned preacher. He has his own church, and it's huge. I don't want to call him a mega mega church preacher because I think of like Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and um, Paula White, who are fake as heck. Um. But I do think that, um, you know, he's done very well for himself. Um, since the Jesus Revolution that he was involved in. Um, He was involved in heavy drugs at the time uh, when he was um, younger in the 60s as well with the hippie movement. And um, One day he just felt um, like he was very empty and he meets this man named Lonnie Frisbee who is portrayed by um, the man who portrays Jesus Christ in The Chosen, and he does an amazing job um, doing that and portraying Lonnie Frisbee, who is also a real person in, you know, the Jesus movement. And um, so it's really great to see how hippies interpret the spirit of God and people who have been raised in the church and how they interpret the spirit of God. The the religious spirit is a real evil spirit to me. I just, I, I believe that. A lot of people might not believe that, but that is to me something that um, I truly believe. I've lived that for 29 years of my life and I never wanna go through that again. (laughs) So when I see people who are worshiping Jesus freely, you really do feel the presence of that. And I love the fact that Pastor Chuck, who, all of this, this whole thing is based on a real story. So Pastor Chuck, um, who was um, the pastor of this church that this movie is centered around. Um, He basically brought in these hippies and they kind of teach the, the older generation of religious men and women how to really be free in worshiping Jesus Christ. And it turns into this huge movement. They end up baptizing people in the ocean in California and it is just a beautiful, beautiful portrayal of how Jesus really is in love of Christ. And, um, I really do recommend it. Greg Laurie is still preaching strong. He is actually on YesFM on, like, every Sunday, 89.3, every Sunday on, um, YesFM at noon and uh you can listen to his sermons there he's still doing what he does and it's incredible um i grew up listening to greg laurie on the um radio because the yes, sfm is the toledo centered uh radio station and i actually know the host how are you jeff <laughs> he's still working at his he founded YesFM, and i i just love him very much. He's such a good man, he's such a good person, he is great, and one day I wanna work for you. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, I really wanna work for you. But listen, and before I do that, I gotta clean up my act, I gotta stop cussing. You know, I gotta be a, a good model Christian before I go ahead and put in my application. Okay, well another shout out, and I know this is so everywhere, this little piece of my podcast, but um. Sean Fouch is live um, every day. I get notifications from him every day, and he travels the world and just worships with people. Um, a good friend of mine actually went to California and joined his worship group in order to, you know, spread the gospel, gospel in California. Antifa showed up and started throwing their drums. It was crazy. Um, there was a lot going on at that time. Like, I think it was maybe last year, actually, that happened. But, um, Sean Fouch is, to me, the embodiment of Jesus' revolution today, because he does everything the way he is led to, and he has a free spirit about his worship, which I love very much. But I will read a review of this movie later on tonight because I'm about to get some pizza, actually waiting for the pizza to get made, so... Um, you gotta stop for pizza. Just like, you know, English, they stop for tea. Listen, there's a song about it. Hi, Professor Elemental. The fuck is wrong with me today? Today I'm just lit. (laughs) I'm just... I'm happy. Are you happy? I hope you're happy. But yeah, Toledo wins need pizza. Every, every Toledo one stops for pizza, and maybe weed, but I don't. So, while I wait for my pizza to get made, um, let's have a break. A break for my crazy self. Did you know that Toledo was mostly marshland and swampland before we decided to settle here? So basically, I'm a swamp person, (laughs) just been brought up in the swamp. I just realized that the plaza that I'm waiting for my pizza to get made um, just got a new paint job. It was green and white, but now it's black and gray. So very nice very nice. These are the thoughts that go into my that that go through my head while I'm waiting for my pizza. Tully Owens 101. Just waiting for pizza. (laughs) Okay. Now that my episode is a little less scattered now, Man, I just woke up. I need to, I need to finish this episode. But anyway, I'm gonna read a review of um, Jesus Revolution, and this is from RobertEbert.com, I think. Yep. Before there were mega churches, the size of sports arenas, preaching prosperity and weight loss before televangelists uh, and a billion dollar he got he gets us ad campaign. Um, back in the area the era of hippies and Woodstock and peace signs, there were people known as Jesus freaks, the generation that rebelled against military, industrial complex, commercialism. Um, their parents and pretty much everything, but was not always clear about what they wanted, including a subgroup who became passionate Christians. They weren't in the mold of people dressed up for church on Sunday, and they lived simply and communally, and they were inspired by leaders who were charismatic in both secular and religious senses of the word. So, they were the subject of the June twenty. Uh, 20- 21st, 1971 cover of Time magazine titled The Jesus Revolution. There is an uncommon morning freshness of this movement, a buoyant atmosphere of hope and love along with the usual rebel zeal and uh, the story gushed. Okay. Um, Let's see. Their love seems more sincere than the slogan um deeper than the fast fading sentiments of the flower children um, that startles the outsider in the extraordinary sense of joy that uh, they are able to communicate let's see an ad popped up um that is the story and the message of a new film called jesus revolution based on a book by one of the leaders of The Jesus Freaks, Greg Laurie. Um, this movie is not about um, certain details like the, like one of its real-life characters, homosexuality, and um, history of substance abuse and instability, nor does this film explore the questions about how cleansing of baptism does not necessarily lead to perpetually buoyant atmosphere of hope and love. Instead, it is a gently told story preaching the, to the converts, assuming that the evangelical Christianity is unassailably the answer without considering the particular worship may not be the answer for all. Kelsey Grammer plays Chuck Smith, a minister in California who presides over the traditional church named Calvary Chapel. Smith's uh, daughter persuades him to talk to a long-haired and improbably uh, named Lonnie Frisbee, played by Jonathan Romy, also who plays Jesus in uh, The Chosen. Initially certain uh, that Frisbee is just an irresponsible hippie, Okay. Smith is impressed with his sincerity, humility, and dedication to the message of Jesus without or about generosity and the spirit of welcome. Frisbee tells uh Smith there's an opportunity to reach the hippies because all of the things that worry him, uh the rejection of their parents' uh values. Their experimentation with drugs is a search for all the right things in all the wrong places, and he believes that he can show them that there is a right place, or that the right place is God. Um, Smith brings Frisbee to his followers into, or and his followers into his home when the parishioners complain about the newcomers dirty bare feet. The pastor uh, does what Jesus did and washes their feet. Um, some members of the church leave in disgust and others are touched by the newcomer's sincerity. And there are a lot of newcomers uh, There are They are a joyous mass of baptisms in the Pacific Ocean which Greg Laurie still does with his church, which I think is just amazing. Amazing. That's just humbling to me. Um, Smith's promise to... Or Smith's promise is a big one. It's not something to explain. It's something to be um, experienced. Uh, what you're seeing is a symbol of new life. Every doubt, every regret, all washed away forever. Much of this story is seen through the eyes of Lori whose uh, book inspired the film. Um, He comes first as an observer bringing his movie camera when a reporter asks if he is a part of God's forever family. He shrugs, he says, I don't really know what a family feels like. He finds himself drawn to the sense of community, purpose, and spirituality Smith and Frisbee are offering. And he also is drawn to Kathy Barlow, um, engagingly natural, though it takes a bit longer to figure that out, that the real-life Greg Laurie is is a pastor and married to Kathy. Well, yeah, you're not supposed to know that until towards the end of the movie. But anyway, um, the contributing parishioners, uh, say they feel uncomfortable, And Smith tells them that perhaps that should be his purpose the people he wants to comfort are the young people seeking God not those who think they are already they have already found them Um, and yet this is what this film does not do Smith promises forgiveness freedom and acceptance not no guilt trips this is your home in other words comfort Yet, when Smith and Frisbee have acrimonious split after Frisbee starts um, exhibiting signs of instability and grandiosity, all we learn is a brief text over the end credits that they later reconciled. The thing is, is that the end credits, I feel like, were the best because it kind of fills in the gaps that you end up kind of like asking yourself some questions like, oh, okay, yeah, did Frisbee and, you know, Smith actually reconcile? Yes, they did. But um, there is nothing about the troubled years covered in the documentary. Anyway... Uh, Frisbee, The Life and Death of a Hippie Preacher. So there's also a documentary about his life. Um, This film is capably made, um, but superficial. It's tricky to balance acceptance, guidance, and consequences. Um, It is impossible to make everyone feel equally valued all the time. Jesus Revolution is more of a wistful wish to bring a wave of new followers than an effort to understand that they'll uh, need once they're there. To quote Jack Cornfield from another faith tradition, after the ecstasy comes the laundry. And to be honest, I, I totally agree with that, you know, sort of way that this uh, person said that. Like, the movie is wonderful, and it does kind of talk more about, like, the happy-go-lucky type of salvation, where when s- they talk about the salvation of when someone s- immediately starts to feel happy and free from the things that they ended up doing before they were saved. So, like... They feel free from their sin, which is something that is supposed to happen. But it is true that, you know, they don't touch upon how that process does kind of die down once you start getting used to the faith. It's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows. And that's that's fine. Um, and the thing is is that faith is a process as... as just as much as salvation, because salvation is also a process. It's not like a guarantee or an, well, I would say it's an absolute, but it's not like a guarantee you're going to feel all warm and fuzzy all the time. But I feel like a lot of people should already know that, but unfortunately a lot of people don't. Um, So, I have had this episode in my editing bank on Spotify for Podcasters for so long, so forgive me, okay? I've been working my ass off at uh, the center that I work at, I've been babysitting a lot, and I have also just been working very hard on Creating and rewriting and revising and editing my book Rogue, which um, I'm gonna have to put a link to where you can read it for free for now until I'm able to publish it. But anyway, there's a lot going on (laughs) with Rogue Radio and uh no, like I said, I'll never abandon my renegades. Thank you so much for listening, but, um, anyway, we are going to go ahead and talk about my homeland, Toledo. Home of the Hustle. So, let's just, you know, go ahead and do that. I think a gnat just flew in here from a window. Look. Anyway. My ADDS. Anyway, Former Toledo Council members sentenced for bribery and extortion (laughs) convictions. I'm not surprised. (laughs) Toledo, Ohio, two former Toledo um, City Council members convicted in a bribery and corruption scheme uh, received their sentence on federal court yesterday or Tuesday. What is today's Tuesday, right? Of course it is, anyway. But maybe they were talking about last Tuesday. Yvonne Harper was the first in the court schedule this morning. Judge Helmick um, sentenced her to one year and one day in prison. One year and one day. Why is that? Why is it so specific? Like, she's going to stay one year in one day, in prison. Um... Okay. And, okay, for the conspiracy conviction. Uh, so... The court found that she received nearly 10,000 in bribes while, uh, on the council. And she had no, uh, criminal history prior to the FBI sting operation. Uh, she will Surrender into custody in a later date. Tyrone Riley was sentenced to 24 months in prison. Larry Sykes will appear in court um, Wednesday. Okay. Those three former council members uh, pleaded guilty in December of 2022. Meanwhile, Gary Johnson fought charges in court. Um, he also was found guilty on the bribery charge in June. Which, he was found not guilty of extortion charge. Okay. Um, he is... His... I'm sorry. His sentencing date is not known. So... Okay. We're gonna keep going. The four members, along with an attorney, were indicted in July 2020. Court um, records show uh, that the FBI began investigating the former council members regard t- to the alleged bribes for votes um, scheme in 2018 unfolded over the following years and the four accused of accepting payments ranging from 500 to 5,000 in exchange for their votes and zoning in requests uh, to internet cafes and special use permits or SUPs uh, for local businesses. Court documents show that during this time, Riley accepted more than $5,000 in payments and meals in return for the support on five occasions related to zoning charges and SUPs and for businesses. A statement from the DOJ Additionally, in two occasions, Harper accepted more than 5,000 in return, and her support of zoning charges and SCP's businesses, uh, Sykes accepted on two occasions approximately 1,500 for his support of SCP's. See... like... I'm pretty sure the economy is really bad for everybody but listen in Toledo the economy's bad year-round all year every day <laughs> and I mean that with the like the biggest sincerity because even city councils trying to earn extra money like this is nuts like yesterday me and Terrence ended up uh, going to the store And all of a sudden we see this dude just open up his van and he's got like this voice like intercom thing from the back of his van saying um, that you can buy free phones and stuff as long as you have a social security card, section eight and food stamps and stuff like that. And I'm just like, yo, this Toledo really is the home of the hustle. We, We really do do our best to survive in this uh, place because it is just really bad. So I'm not, I'm not commending what they're doing, but I do understand the struggle. Or if they just did it just to do it, well, fuck you. But there are a lot of people here struggling. And okay, just for fun, and and because I know that it's going to be very, very short, because I'm sleep deprived, I need to sleep. Um, I, yeah, okay, these are the top ten Tom Hiddleston movies, because, you know, Loki season two is gonna be coming out, I just saw the trailers, pretty awesome, so let's go ahead and read. Um, Tom Hiddleston's top 10 best movies because I love that man. I'm so happy that he's a daddy now. So great. Anyway, according to Rotten Tomatoes, (laughs) Number 10 is Muppets Most Wanted. (laughs) I have watched this (laughs) and to be honest, I I watched this when I was a big, big, big fangirl of Tom Hiddleston. Like, I loved this man. I really thought that I was in love with this man. Anyway, um, and I saw him- it's a very small part when he, uh, decides to, um, take up this role as a scapeo in this big Russian prison. And he has no lines, he just breaks out of his chains. And it gets electrocuted. (laughs) I don't understand. How is this on top 10? I mean, honestly, it's still a funny movie. I'm not going to lie. But he has no lines. I don't know how this even got in the top 10. There's, There's a plethora of other movies that he's done that could have been up on here. The Pirate Fairy, which I have watched. And you know what? I wasn't a big fan of it just because... I'm- I'm not too big on Tom Hiddleston being a voiceover actor, and just because I guess I'm just used to seeing his face on screen instead of an animated character persona of him, so... Um, I have watched this, um, back in the day, and, um, it is all about, like, this evil pirate that, you know, captures this fairy and tries to manipulate her into finding like treasure for him because he's a greedy ass and that's pretty much it again that um that movie shouldn't be on this list but anyway (laughs) exhibition i have never seen this we're gonna we're gonna read this one exhibition is a hard-hitting drama that follows d and h two artists who to Who are living together in London when they decide to put their house up for sale and open a public exhibition. Um, Their personal and professional lives begin to unravel in mysterious ways and Hiddleston plays Jamie McMillan um, reuniting with Hogg after um, working together in Archipelago in 2010. Um, Along the movie, or although the movie is recorded, is an acquired taste, bound to appeal more to the art house crowd and blockbuster fans. Exhibition is hailed as for for its uh, detached fly-on-the-wall approach." Okay, so it's like you're watching them from the inside of the movie? Is that what it is? The dialogue is stripped down, allowing viewers to wallow in the visual splendor of Hogg's filmmaking while um, Hogg aptly reflects the cold and distant nature of their characters um, through the camera work, offering a haughtingly poetic look of marriage on the rocks. Interesting. Avenger's Infinity War. Okay. Listen, fuck Infinity War, <laughs> fuck Marvel. This is number seven on the uh, list on Rotten Tomatoes, so I hate Infinity War. I hated it, okay? It was, okay, let me say this. It wasn't that bad as far as like the script goes. I just knew that Disney threw up all over it. You know how Disney just decides to just, like, take the script and give it to a five-year-old and scribble bright colors all over it? That's how I knew it wasn't the dirty and gritty, rough-and-tumble type of action movie that the Thor series uh, was usually all about. So no, I disagree. again. So, let's see, Yeah, Only Lovers Left alive. I have not seen this one, but I really want to see it because he acts with Tilda Swinton and they're both fucking vampires, and oh my god, uh, listen, if he would just grow out his scruff, okay, in this goddamn movie, okay, listen, he would be a great live action Shota Aizawa from My Hero Academia. This man is just perfect. For that role. I just see it. I do. Anyway, um, the poetic character-driven vampire movie, the story concerns Adam and Eve, two uh, ancient vampires who overcome their boredom and depression by preying on Eve's younger sister, Ava, and her boyfriend, Ian. Um, <clears throat> fusing intense horror, dark comedy, and surreal fantasy with Um, The distinct offbeat style, Only Lovers Left Alive, is an intimate affair that relies on the splendid performances by Tom Hiddleston and Tilda Swinton. Um, And the movie uh, drew vast acclaim for the towering performances, uh, moody atmospherics, and unpredictable story twists, while some lamented the lack of complex plot. Others were enchanted by the languid pacing, at the uh, that allowed the characters to get a feel for Adam and Eve's existential unease. So this is what number six. Number five is unrelated. So this is when I want to say he. This was in 2006. Okay, I don't have not seen this one either. Because I know that there is one where he is like 18 and it's on YouTube. I can't remember the name. I think it was like called Holiday or something like that. And he has like his uh, he had like really tight permed curls and he's like 18 in this. And I think this is like one of the movies that kind of where he started out as. And it was a very low budget movie, but this one is different. But I see the picture of, um, like the header of this column here for number five, and it kind of looks like the same thing as babyface Hiddleston, but anyway, Hiddleston worked on uh, British filmmaker Joanna Hogg for the first time on her uh, feature film debut, Unrelated. The story tracks Anna, a woman who takes a break from her partner Alex, who um, visits a childhood friend in Italy. Oh, okay, this might be it, actually. Um, while they Okay, he wouldn't be 18, then, because it's 2006. Maybe it is... I'm going to stop interrupting myself, okay? We're just going to keep going. While there, Anna begins hanging out with her friend's uh, debauched teenage children and um, nearly begins a torrid affair with Oakley or Hiddleston the charismatic teen leader beyond the central performances of Unrelated the uh, he was commended by critics for Hogg's uh, keen um, observations relating to Anna's social dynamic um, viewers can sense a Anna's palpable middle-aged malaise Uh, her awkward, uneasy encounters with the teens and her dreadful anticipation of returning to Alex. Uh, Most of all, the film was hailed for being uh, an assured first-time feature from a promising indie director who who has only gotten better over time. Yeah, okay. The Avengers. Okay, yes. The Avengers, I will agree, because this is number four was one of the best movies from Marvel that Tom Hiddleston has ever played in. Just because this was before, this is like the golden age of Marvel. Before it got just sold to fucking Disney and Disney just came all over it. It, it, it was gritty. It was great. I found it wonderful. I still have that movie. We have a plethora of- we have a whole wall of movies at my house, and I love that movie. That is one of my favorite movies of all time. And yes, it is one of the movies that I have actually fell in love with Tom Hiddleston and Loki at the same time. So yes, Um, I think one of the main reasons why I love this movie besides Tom Hiddleston being like the lovable villain, I will say All of the action in this movie is really great, too. I really love fight scenes, uh, especially when they're very, very creative. (sighs) Alright, so number three. Midnight in Paris. I have watched that. (laughs) And it has Owen Wilson in it, which I really fucking hate. I hate hate him very much. He's a terrible actor and says, wow, a lot. I can't stand him. But... Midnight in Paris is about a writer played by Owen Wilson who's having a hard time writing and his wife is not very supportive and so they decide to go abroad to kind of, like, inspire his, um, writing talent. And while he's there, he ends up passing through a doorway and he ends up going back in time. Or something. He ends up going back in time, I'm not exactly sure, but he ends up meeting F. Scott Fitzgerald, who ends up um, being played by Tom Hiddleston, which he kind of, like, goes back and forth from different parallel universes in order to, like, kind of uh, inspire his own writing, as well as kind of, like, picking the brain of one of the Um, most famous American literature authors uh, of his time. So it's great. I I liked it. It, I wouldn't say it belongs on number three, but I know that Tom Hiddleston doesn't usually act in roles for the role itself. He likes the artistry of the role and of the movie uh, as a whole. So that's why you kind of see him in a lot of different, like, very, not weird, but very creative movies that you really have to think about, you know? So, I mean, it is a small part, yet again, but it is a really good movie. Thor Ragnarok, fuck yes. I love this. It's number two, which is awesome. I love the fact that it's number two. And, um... Ah, uh, yeah, no. Thor Ragnarok? Wait, is it Ragnarok? Oh fuck! No, I don't like Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> okay, I don't hate Thor Ragnarok. But I feel like it's up there. I thought it was Thor The Dark World, because Thor The Dark World was when I fell in love. I fell in love with Tom. Anyway. <clears throat> no, Thor Ragnarok, I will say, it wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't as bad as Infinity War. Because you get to see a little bit more of like where Loki ended up uh, going after he had, uh, you know, supposedly died the first time, and you know you see how really like tricky he really is, and you get to see more of his personality and stuff like that with his brother and everything. But, then again, you know, Disney just came all over it. Shad all over it. Disgusting. I don't like Disney. Disney is too much for me. But, yeah, that's alright. I wouldn't put it at number two, but that is my biased opinion. Archipelago is This one I do not know anything about, so we're gonna go ahead and read it. So, according to Rotten Tomatoes, Archipelago is Tom Hiddleston's best movie. So when was this made? Uh, two, 2010? Really? It's been out that long? Anyway, written and directed by Joanna Hogg. Another Hogg movie. That's great. Um, the movie is a searing portrait of family that begins to crack under their dysfunction uh, during a vacation to the Isles of Sicily near um, Tresco Island. Hiddleston uh gives one of the most memorable turns as Edward, a man of ex- existential crossroads who quits his job as a fair has a, and has a farewell holiday with his family before heading to Africa. Um, after... Working together on Hogg's first film, Unrelated, the superb actor-director duo picked up the the creative group and delivered a quiet yet affirming character study um, of a man grappling with life crisis in the movie lauded for its unpromising look at the family's past coming back to haunt each member short, quiet scenes build up over time and have a cumulative effect that resonates with viewers long after the movie ends. So that's really cool. I'm gonna have to go ahead and put that on my movie watch list, but um, I will say that the um, honorable mentions would have to be the Deep Blue Sea. Which, um, I don't know her name. He acts with that one lady <laughs> who plays, uh, Um, and it's all about how, like, suicide attempts really break up a, um, break up a relationship to people with people who cannot handle that type of mental strain. Um, I find it beautiful just because it's not just about that. It also kind of talks about how, like, um, Tom Hiddleston's character is very young compared to, um, we'll just call her Evelyn for now. I feel really bad that I don't know her name. But (laughs) Evelyn's character as well, um, she's an older woman, so kind of, like, plays on that as well. I like how he ends up doing, like, the um, slice of life type of um, movies when it, he's not doing anything for Marvel because it's, I find it really refreshing. Anyway, um, another movie that I would put up there is Crimson Peak. And Crimson Peak, I find, is very Tim Burton. I love the style of the the movie. It is very gothic. It is all about death. Yes. But it is like a gothic romance, which I find incredibly beautiful. It's uh, very interesting to see something more refreshing and more of a darker side when it comes to like movies because everybody wants all like sunshine and rainbows when it comes to romance I'm just like no give me some reality with some like gothic shit okay I'm an emo girl at heart okay (laughs) but the story is about um, Tom Hiddleston's character and uh, his character's sister yes they do have incest shit for some reason, but he ends up falling in love with a blonde haired woman who is also the actress who played in Jane Eyre, and I don't know her name, I'm so sorry, but anyway, he falls in love with her, and um, the sister gets very jealous, they all three live in a mansion where um, it is called Crimson Peak because the soil when it snows, gets moist, and it turns red because of the red clay that is on their property. But anyway, he ends up falling in love, sister gets jealous, and he gets killed. (laughs) Sorry for spoiling everything, but I don't know why I love this movie. This movie is beautiful and it's also about the house being haunted a little bit as well. Not sure how it's been a long time since I've seen it, but listen, it's a good movie. What's another one? I'm, I'm looking at the list of, like, movies in here. I see. He's in Deadpool 3? What the fuck? <laughs> High-Rise. Okay, I understand that High-Rise is a very artistic movie, so... When I watched it, I will say... I didn't get it at first. Because he basically lives in this very high-end type of building, where everyone has their secrets, everyone has their like... It's like the tower that they live in, this apartment building, is like their own type of world. But they come out of that world because they have to go to their jobs and then they go back and it's it's like anything goes in this tower. And then this tower ends up becoming hell on earth for the people who live there because they're all eating each other and having sex with each other and killing each other. And Tom Hiddleston's character is kind of like that character from like the outside looking in. Because he stays separate from everyone, but he still lives inside the building, which is strange. And it's weird. It's one of those artistic movies that you probably won't get until after you start thinking about it. For a little bit. You know, after you watch it. But it's still a good movie, I think. Let me see. Where's another one? Yeah, The Deep Blue Sea, I said. He's in Black Widow as well. Huh. I'm trying to see Miss America, The Gathering. He's in The Simpsons? <laughs> Interesting. Huh. I thought he was in more than just these, but... Okay. Let me look on IMDB real quick, because I really don't want to give you just three movies. I wanted to give you at least five. Because I know I like bombed at least five of them for you to not watch, but let me see. He's an ant man, the Simpsons, the X the Essex Serpent, what if? I never heard these. These are brand new ones. Um Are these shows? These are shows I would say. Anyway, I, whatever. Um Thanks for listening and I will see you in the trenches next time. I'm really, really, really sorry that I cannot finish because I'm tired. I can barely keep my eyes open. Good night.